Have you made any decisions yet today? Well, fact of the matter is, you have, haven't you? In fact, you've made a number of decisions today already. I mean, just as soon as you got out of bed, you made some decision about what you would have for breakfast. Certainly, as you prepared to come here, you made decisions about the clothes that you would wear. In fact, your very presence here at this assembly this morning represents a very important decision that you have made. Certainly, there were other places you could have gone, other things you could have done. You made a decision to come here. We commend you for that, by the way. Life is really, if you stop to consider it, just a continuing series of choices and decisions that we're called upon to make every day. Many times throughout every day, we make decisions. Some are big decisions, others are small, some are very important, others are less significant, but there are just a myriad of decisions to be made on a daily basis. By far and away, the most important decision that we ever make is a decision to serve the Lord and do His will in our life. Unfortunately, and quite sadly, that decision is neglected by the vast majority of people in our world today. For a few minutes this morning, we want to emphasize making a decision, making a decision about God. That decision has to be made. We must decide. Now, this is not a new thing. This demand upon us to make a decision. What are you going to do with God? That's not a new challenge that is put before men in our day and time. Actually, all men of all time have been called upon to make some sort of decision for the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, very famous words from the great man of God, Joshua, choose you this day. This was near the end of his life. He was about to die and pass on the leadership of Israel to the hands of others. But he admonished the people, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua called upon the people to make a decision. You've got to choose. In the text that Wade read for us earlier from 1 Kings chapter 18, you remember that very famous episode on Mount Carmel. It was the days of King Ahab, a very wicked king, and Elijah the prophet had withstood him. And they met at Mount Carmel, a great contest between Elijah who stood alone and the 450 prophets of the false idol Baal. And so Elijah called upon the people, you've got to decide. At that time, the people had been very divided. In fact, most of them had been committed to the idolatrous worship of Baal. And Elijah said, you've got to make a decision. Notice 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They wouldn't make a decision. There's an interesting expression here in this verse. He says, how long will you halt between two opinions? That's the King James rendering of it. The New King James Version says, how long will you falter between two opinions? The New American Standard Version says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? But the American Standard Version says, how long will you go limping between the two sides? I actually think that may be the best rendering here, and it actually ties back to what the King James... The word halt, are you familiar with using the word halt that way? To walk with a limp? 
He's got a halting gait, we might say. He walks with a limp. Well, the American Standard uses that word. How long will you go limping between the two sides? Elijah's suggesting when you won't make a decision, it's like you've crippled yourself. You're not able to do anything normally because you won't make a decision. You've got to make a decision finally. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for, he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said you have to make a decision. You can't be indecisive. Whose side are you going to be on? The Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You've got to finally make that decision between the two. A decision must be made. And so our topic this morning has to do with this important decision that needs to be made. You've got to make a decision. What are you going to do about God? What are you going to, in your life, in your individual situation, what are you going to do concerning serving God? A decision must be made. We want to especially deal with in our study this morning some of the reasons why people fail to make that decision. And hopefully we can learn from that. Hopefully we can make a commitment that we will no longer be indecisive in regards to our service to God. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Before we get further into our discussion, let me stop. I've gone a little further than usual before, to, before stopping to say thank you again for being here. We appreciate you very much. As we've already said, there are plenty of decisions you could have made that would have taken you to other places to do other things today. But you chose to be here, and we commend you for that. We're glad for your presence, especially for the many who are visiting with us. Thanks for coming our way here at College View. You are always welcome. We want you to know that, and we would... Be thrilled to have you come back just every time that you have a chance to do so. Thanks for being here. If you have any questions at all, if we can assist you with Bible study or other means, let us know. We'd be glad to help. Thanks to everyone for being here today. Why is it that sometimes when it comes to the important decision about God that we postpone, put it off, we won't do it? Well, first of all, I think people sometimes take false comfort in good intentions. False comfort in good intentions. Now, the kind of person I'm describing here uh, is the kind of person who acknowledges and admits that there's something that needs to be done. The kind of person I'm describing here who has good intentions is not denying, I need to do something, I'm aware of that, and I plan to. I'm going to get around to that, I'm going to do it, uh, I have every intention of finishing that, following through with that. This might be uh, in, in a physical illustration of the concept. Maybe this guy's house. And maybe for some time, the house has been badly needed of some basic repair work, some fixing up. Maybe he just needs to paint his house. And the fact of the matter is that he says that frequently. In fact, for the last so many years, he's been saying, you know, i really got to paint this house. And I'm going to. I intend to. But while he continues to admit the need for this necessary maintenance, the house is falling apart because of neglect, because he hadn't done so much as put a fresh coat of paint on it in years after years. Now some of the boards are starting to fall off and rot away. He intends to do it. He admits it needs done, but he never gets around doing it. Do the good intentions do anything toward the repair and maintenance of his house? 
Obviously not. He can admit he needs to do it and intends to do it, but till he does it, it's to no avail. Spiritually, it's the same way. Even though some folks admit, I know, I know that there's things I need to do, things I need to accomplish to get right with God, and I'm going to, well, as long as it's just in the realm of good intentions, uh, it's of no value. That's a false comfort. But I think sometimes people take false comfort in good intentions. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. James acknowledges here that there are situations when people know what they should do, but they're not doing it. It's a sinful thing to remain in that situation. In 1 John chapter 3, at verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Stop to think about this for a minute. To say to yourself, or for that matter, to say it to other people, to say, I know there are things that I need to change. I know that I need to obey God. To express that intention but not to follow through is really just lip service, isn't it? Uh, that's just loving God in word and in tongue, but not in deed and in truth. We need to stop giving lip service and get busy doing what needs to be done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there's an interesting context. It's longer than what we're going to reference this morning. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wrote to the Corinthian brethren about a contribution, a contribution that was being collected to take to needy saints uh, in Jerusalem. Paul had talked to these people about it before. And they hadn't followed through to actually make the contribution. And he was sort of chiding them about that. He said, I give my opinion in this matter, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning verse 10, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Paul said, you Corinthians have been talking about this for more than a year. A year ago, you said you wanted to do this. And implication is they understood it needed to be done. They hadn't followed through. And so he said, now finish doing it. You've, you've, you've talked about it enough. Let's get the job done. Well, that's what we need to realize finally about this matter of good intentions. Good intentions don't get the job done. And there's really... If you're taking comfort in having such intentions, that's a false comfort. There's no real advantage to that as long as you stay right there. So one of the reasons why people fail to make a decision for God is this false comfort of good intentions. Another reason, I think, is because that we just absolutely do have a natural tendency to procrastinate. This is a, a point closely linked to the first one. One of the reasons why we stay in that realm of good intentions is because there is just in us a natural tendency to put off doing what needs to be done. That, the, the practice of procrastination is something that we learn at a pearly, pretty early age in life. You kids who are still in school, I suspect that you have already mastered the skill of procrastinating I know my kids did when they were in school. It was not uncommon, but extremely frustrating when they say, oh, I've got a big report due tomorrow, or I've got a science project. It's got to be done by tomorrow morning. And here it is, you know, 8.30 or 9 o'clock the night before. Well, how long have you known about that? Hmm. 
I guess about three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks ago, we knew this had to be done, but now it's nine o'clock the night before when it's supposed to be in the next morning. Well, that's what I'm saying. Procrastination, we learn. We get pretty skillful at doing that at a very early age. When it comes to serving God, the problem of procrastination is certainly very serious because there's such a great danger. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I may not have tomorrow. And if I put this off till tomorrow, what needs to be done so importantly, serving God in my life, if I procrastinate yet one more day, I may not have another day. You remember James said uh, so vividly in James 4, verse 14, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish the way. We're not here long. We don't have much time. And that amount of time is certainly uncertain, so we've got to be doing something. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Since this is the most important decision we will ever make, there's urgency in doing it without delay. We should not postpone. We should not procrastinate. Why do people fail to make this important decision for God. Well, I, think, I think some people fail to make it because they just don't like to face reality. Now, let me explain. This could go several different directions, but let me explain the kind of reality I'm talking about here. The reality that I'm talking about here that we don't like to face is the fact that we are actually in horrible condition. We're actually wretched, miserable sinners in desperate need of salvation, and without obedience to the gospel, we're doomed to an eternity in hell. But we don't like to face that reality. We don't like to deal with the reality that we're actually pretty bad people, pretty terrible, and very desperately need of forgiveness and salvation. We don't like to see ourselves that way. What we do, instead of dealing with the reality of our own sinful state, is that we look around at other people and say, you know, I don't think I'm so bad. There's a lot of worse people than I am. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, when he said, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not a wise thing. To try and take some kind of satisfaction or comfort in saying, I'm a better person than a lot of the people I know. I want to tell you, it wouldn't be a challenge for anybody in this room this morning to go out of here and in a matter of an hour round up a whole posse of people who are a lot worse than you are. That's no challenge. Anybody can do that. There are a lot of really bad people in this world. And if you're taking some sort of comfort in saying, well, I'm better than they are, that's a false comfort. And if you're hesitating, if you're limping along, not making a decision for God on the basis of the fact that you know people who are worse than you are, I want to tell you, that is bad practice. We need to see ourselves as we really are. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, excuse me, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There have been times in the past when I've used that expression that we're just wretched, miserable sinners. I've had people actually say, we, should, we shouldn't use that kind of terminology. Uh, we, we shouldn't talk that way about ourselves, you know. We're special. God loves us. Well, God certainly loves us, 
But it is very appropriate for us to see ourselves as wretched, miserable sinners in desperate need of salvation. Uh, If it's wrong for us to use those kind of terms to describe ourselves, then it was wrong for Paul, by inspiration, to use that expression. Oh, wretched man that I am. We need to see ourselves that way. But what I'm saying here is that we don't like to deal with that reality. We don't want to see ourselves that way. But the fact of the matter is, as Paul said in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've done this exercise before, but let me ask you, how many sins do you think you have need of forgiveness? For how many sins do you need to be forgiven? That's the question. I updated my numbers the other day just just for practice. You know, we say sometimes we all sin every day. I don't know about that. I I don't know whether we... Some people use that expression to sort of denote inevitability. I would like to think we could reach a point where maybe we could go a whole day without sinning, but I don't know if we ever do. We probably sin a lot more than once a day, but what I did for myself is that I calculated since what I assume to be about an age of accountability to my present age, if I sin just once a day, just one, if I committed just one sin on average every day since I reached the age of accountability, in my case, I'm approaching 18,000 sins that I need to be forgiven of. And I'm, I'm convinced there are way more than that. I'm a wretched, miserable sinner. I desperately need to be saved. God's made that salvation possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. But I've got to see myself that way before I'll do anything about correcting that situation. The problem is we don't like to face reality like that. And a lot of people postpone their decision because they don't want to deal with that reality. I think some people won't decide because they imagine that remaining neutral is sort of an option. Um, you know, sometimes we, we are neutral in regards to certain situations. For instance, not long ago, there was a big ball game being played in the championship, and somebody asked me, who are you cheering for? Who are you rooting for? I said, no, I honestly don't care. I don't favor one side over the other. I'm, I'm, just, I'm sort of indifferent about it all. Well, you can be indifferent about some things. You can refuse to take a side on some things, but there are other things where you have to make a decision, and the fact of the matter is you are making a decision. And that's the way it is in religion. You can't hold neutral ground in religion you have to decide you are making a decision. I hope people realize that by just waiting, by refusing to commit, that's a decision in itself. You can't stay neutral. Neutral ground really isn't available. I want to remind you of a familiar episode right there at the end of Jesus' life when he was put on trial by the Jews and the Romans. They brought, you remember, the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate knew, I mean, almost immediately, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent of any wrongdoing. And it's clear as you read the Gospel accounts that he wanted to let Jesus go. But the Jews wouldn't have it. And so in Matthew chapter 27, beginning verse 22, Pilate said to them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the uh, the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. 
What did Pilate try to do right there? You know that text. He was trying to remain neutral in the matter, right? He, he admitted, I, I see nothing wrong with this man. Uh, I don't see any evil in him. But the, because that he was determined to pacify the Jewish leadership, he let it happen. But he even went dramatically to the step of washing his hands in the presence of all. I'm washing my hands in this matter. I'm, I'm not involved. I'm, I'm neutral here. I'm, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. I'll ask you a question. Do you excuse Pilate in this matter? Because he said, I'm, I'm just going to stay neutral. Do you excuse him? Is he excused? Not at all, right? He's, he's fully guilty in the matter. And so are we. We cannot maintain that so-called middle ground. It's impossible. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, beginning verse 4, Hebrews 6, beginning verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Here it's even speaking of some who have been Christians, but they have refused to make the necessary decision to be fully committed to doing the will of God in their life by refusing to make a consistent decision to be faithful to the Lord. The Hebrew writer says they were right in there with Pilate, crucifying to themselves the Son of God afresh and putting Him to an open shame. You can't stay neutral in this matter. You've got to make a decision and ultimately, you are making a decision whether you want to admit it or not. You either commit to the Lord or you don't. There's no neutral ground here. And by not deciding in favor of the Lord, you're actually deciding against Him. That's just the way it is. Some people won't make a decision because I think they fail to understand what is really the most important thing in life. What matters to you most in your life? What are the things that are most important to you? Well, we could probably build a pretty long list of important things. Certainly, our families are important to us, aren't they? Our families are, are significant. Our jobs are important to us. Um, having some savings in the bank against a potential rainy day, that's important, you know. Having a retirement plan, that's important. Uh, being able to buy a few of the nice things that are available in this world today, you know, that's, not, that's important. We want to be able to enjoy some of the material benefits of living in this modern world. Your hobby is important to you? Yeah. yeah. We go to all kinds of extremes. We'll, we'll put forth great energies to be able to enjoy our hobbies and our recreation. They're just all kinds of important things, right? But of all those things, and they all, they all vary uh, in, ma in, in degree of significance, all of the things that I just mentioned and more have importance, but bottom line, what you got to realize that the most important thing is serving God and preparing yourself for the judgment which is to come. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, beginning, Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You notice that Jesus didn't offer the answer to those questions. That's what we call a rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer to those questions are so obvious you don't even have to state them. If it were possible, we know it's not possible, but if even it were possible for a man to gain all the wealth of the world but lose his own soul, he would have made a bad decision in the process. There's nothing, of course, that you can give in exchange for your soul. 
why do people refuse to decide? Well, I think we've touched upon at least five important reasons that, that probably a lot of people fall into one or more of these various categories. Taking comfort in their good intentions, procrastinating, not facing the reality of their situation, trying to remain neutral, not really dealing with what's most important in life. All of those reasons, maybe more, keep people from making a decision for serving God. Remember Elijah said to the people of Israel when, the, when he was in that great contest with the false prophets on Mount Carmel. He said, how long will you halt between two decisions, two, two choices? The word halt there, I think, is actually translated limping along. Just limping along won't make a decision. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people today who are limping along, refusing to decide positively in favor of serving God. Does that describe you? Have we described you at all this morning? If that's the case, then I hope you will agree that you need to change that immediately. Don't put it off any longer. No more delaying. Make the decision to serve God. If you're not a Christian yet, we hope you'll decide to do so by obeying the simple gospel plan of salvation. Hearing the truth, believe it. Repent of your... Uh, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you in that obedience, we're ready to do so. We'd be more than glad to study with you if you need more study so that you can make that decision. If you're a Christian already, but you haven't been faithfully making the decision to do the will of God in your life, if you've fallen away, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.